I hope you have a Bible and turn with me to the book of Psalms. Normally when we talk about the crucifixion of Christ, we begin at the Gospels because of the life, death, burial, resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. But the entire Bible is filled with references to Jesus Christ. In Genesis, he's called the seed of the woman, the lion of the tribe of Judah. We can trace him all the way through. Uh, In the book of the Revelation, he's called the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, which references all the way back to before in the beginning when God created the heaven and the earth, in the beginning of John 1.1, when it was just God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and they made this plan for our salvation and created life on earth. But we read about his crucifixion in the Old Testament in scriptures written more than a thousand years before the birth of Christ on earth. Psalm 22. The first words are a direct quote of Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me from the words of my roaring? We see that from the beginning of this psalm, the exact words that Jesus would later say on the cross. In verse 7, All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head. Now, they're mocking him. They're making fun of him. They're scorning him. They're shooting out their lip. They're, They're mouthing off at Jesus as he's being crucified. Imagine that. He's on the cross, dying for them, and they're making fun of him and of his pain. Now, from the Gospels, what's the response that he gives to those people? He prays for them. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Verse 8, they're laughing. He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him. See if he delighteth in him. Let, let the Lord take him down from the cross. Or let him come down from the cross himself if he's the Messiah. Slide down to verse number 12. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. Have you ever been around a, a riot? A, a group of people, they get incensed and they get go, And pretty soon they're yelling and they're mouthing and they're gritting their teeth and they're, they're saying mean things and they're behaving badly. I remember being in the middle of a situation like that once. And, and it just gets an ex escalates and uh, police have to come in and try and calm it down. This crowd was just whipped into a frenzy. Um, I believe it was a satanic frenzy because uh, Satan was attacking the Lord Jesus Christ and these people were responding to him and mocking Jesus. Now listen to the description in verse 14. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. Uh, I want you to think about two things on the cross this morning. One is, 
the horror of the cross. Those that were crucified could hang on a cross for days and they would slowly suffocate. Their feet were nailed to the cross. Their hands were nailed to the cross at a cross beam. And their backs had been scourged and the skin ripped off. And so they'd have to push themselves up and pull with their hands while those spikes, those nails went through at the wrist where um, those of you who've had carpal tunnel or other illnesses, you know the extreme pain when there's inflammation inside the wrist because all the nerve endings to the hand go right through there. Right through there. And so they pound the nail right through there, designed to bring the most intense pain. And then to pull himself up, he's pulling himself up, putting more pressure and more pain and more pain at his feet and sliding that back up. And then he had a crown of thorns bashed into his head. And so that's maybe banging against the cross and blood's flowing everywhere. And they would lift themselves up to... To breathe, and the person on the cross died of suffocation. The cross was designed to cause intense, lingering pain. It wasn't planned to be a quick and easy execution like a guillotine or a hangman's noose. It was designed to cause pain and agony and humiliation. And the carbon dioxide would build in their lungs and they couldn't exhale, exhale it because they couldn't get enough strength to get it out. And those of you who've struggled with breathing difficulties know the struggle of getting the bad stuff out so you can get the good stuff in and feeling like your lung capacity gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And that's exactly what was happening on the cross. And then uh, Psalm 22 says his... Uh, His bones are out of joint, the middle of verse 14. Uh, Hanging there, uh, what it would do to the shoulders, and and it would just start tearing away at the shoulders, and and the the weakness of the muscles around the ankle from pushing, and, and, and everything would just be pulled out of socket. That's why you're not supposed to grab kids by their hands and spin them around because it can pull their shoulders and their joints out of socket. And that's what the psalmist is writing, describing Jesus on the cross. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels or in my chest. My, my heart is, is just barely functioning. Can't get enough blood flow up to the hands. The arms are starting to lose their functioning. Can't get enough blood flow up to the head. Uh, so not thinking clearly. There's a little oxygen deprivation. But, but the pain signals are working just fine. They're firing from all over his body. Intense, searing pain. Verse 15. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. Like a dry clay pot. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Thou hast brought me into the dust of death. The searing, screaming pain from the pierced hands, the pierced feet, the crown of thorns beat into his skull, sharp uh, thorns poking into his head, the scourging and sliding his torn and tattered back up and down on the rough cross to drag, to grab a single breath. Verse 16, 
Dogs have compassed me, uh, the people around making fun. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They're surrounding it. They pierced my hands and my feet. When that was written, crucifixion was not even a method of execution. When the psalmist wrote this, later on it would become an accepted method of execution, particularly in the Roman government. As, and, but it's written and described here uh, earlier. Hundreds of years before that. Verse 17. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. Just the ribs start protruding. Uh, The shoulder bones because the muscles are peeling and breaking and and tendons snapping. And and pretty soon it's, it's the bones hanging there. And normally they would leave a person on a cross for... Uh, up to three days, three or four days, a person could hang on the cross. And it just get worse and worse. Jesus died more quickly because he suffered more dramatically. Verse 18, they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. The soldiers who put him to death uh, each took a part of his clothing, but he had uh, a cloak that, that was... Uh, woven together and they said instead of tearing this up let's cast lots and see who gets it and so one got it that's exactly what the psalmist said would happen the suffering of the cross is unimaginable it's bewildering to me that humanity could do that to humanity I I am not against the death penalty although I would have a really hard time carrying it out uh, but I'm not against it. I understand the government can do that, and, and it's a legal uh, thing that could be done. Uh, but this is, this is awful. This is not a government sanction putting somebody to death for their horrible crimes. This actually is an innocent person. But the, the method of crucifixion was horrific. What, what kind of people were these soldiers who would do this? What kind of people would gather around and laugh and make fun of him while up on the cross? In fact, at some point, each of the men beside him made fun of him. And then one realized he was wrong and repented and he went to heaven with the Lord. Uh, the other did not. But for Jesus, the physical suffering was the easy part. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Isaiah 53. If you've read the story of the crucifixion that's found in the Gospels, you find that at some point in the crucifixion, uh, Jesus says, while he's on the cross, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. He says to the one thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. He says to his mother, woman, behold thy son, and points to John, or I guess doesn't point, cause he, but, but he eye over to John, and then he looks from John to his mother, behold thy mother, and made sure John, one of his disciples, would take care of his mother. And then darkness came in. From noon until about 3 p.m., it was completely dark. One of those darknesses you can feel. Uh, I went down into Carlsbad Caverns when I was a kid, and we were down in 
the cavern, and, and uh, they got us into this place, and then they turned off all the lights. I understand they don't do that anymore. When we took our kids there, I told them it was going to be so cool, and then they don't do that anymore because they had people fall and get hurt. And, uh, but it's total darkness because you're down under the earth, total darkness, no light at all. Back then, there weren't cell phones and wristwatches that gave off lights. And and this darkness that penetrated at noon, so dark, no one could see the agony of Christ on the cross. And in that darkness, he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We read that in the psalm. We read that in the gospels. What's going on there? Well, Isaiah tells us exactly what's going on. Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Verse 5, Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. So there on the cross, in agony, suffering, Jesus took on himself the sins of the world. He not only suffered the physical pain of crucifixion, he suffered the spiritual pain of the punishment of our sins. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And and he's dry and he's chapped and he's broken and God the Father is turned away from him. The God the Father and God the Son separated for the one and only time in all of eternity where the Father turned away from the Son. And Jesus had said, I and the Father are one. They were together. They were complete. They were in sync. But at this point, when Jesus literally became sin for us, the Father turned away. And that was the, the heartbreak of Jesus. In fact, the scripture said he was so battered and so bruised, he did not even look human. It's no wonder that his closest friends didn't recognize him after the resurrection until he spoke to them and they recognized his voice. He was different. In his life, he probably had brown hair. Some suggest it might have been reddish brown, redder hair. Uh, he had he looked Jewish, not Italian or American. He looked Jewish, and and so he probably had a, a darker beard and darker hair, like most of the Jewish men in his culture. And and yet, when we read his description in the Book of Revelation, he has hair as white as snow. Some of you know uh, our missionary Annette Rice. Uh, we support Pete's evangelistic ministry around the world, and Annette's going through a struggle with cancer. And um, Annette had a daughter 
Beth, who fell. She was working in a hospital and tripped on the stairs while talking with some friends and reached for the railing, and, and the stairs were not code, and the railing was too low, and she went over and fell, and, and she died. And Kathy and I met Annette like a year after that, uh, and she had white hair. But before that event, she didn't. And it often happens in life that a shocking event can make your hair go completely white. And so some suggest that Jesus was dark-haired at the crucifixion and white-haired at the resurrection because of what he endured on the cross. And that's why John, when he saw him in his glory, said he had hair white as snow. Imagine the agony of what Christ went through on the cross. And then he cried, I thirst. And instead of water, what did they give him to drink? Vinegar. Now, I love vinegar, but I wouldn't want to drink it. Vinegar. It wouldn't meet any need. It wouldn't help. It was, again, designed just to add to the frustration. But then as he hung on the cross, Jesus said, uh, wonderful words, it is finished. Actually, just one word in the Greek. It's finished. It's finished. Salvation's wondrous plan was done. And, and then probably in a, in a quieter voice, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. In the darkness, in the agony, Imagine being around the cross. One of the disciples, John was there. Some of the women were there. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. To hear him cry out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then to hear him cry out, It is finished. And then to listen and hear him say, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. The horror of the cross. Now Isaiah said the reason he went to the cross was because of your sins and mine. But the horror of the cross is not the only thing that we have in Scripture. We also have the hope of the cross. The hope because of what the Lord has done for us. First uh, Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from the aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Jesus was that sacrificial lamb, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, the one who would pay the penalty for our sins. It had to be a righteous one, a completely holy one. And that's not possible in humanity apart from divinity stepping into humanity. The sinless God stepped into humanity, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And he died to pay the penalty of our sins. And by his blood, we are healed. Think about that. He who designed the very blood coursing through your veins willingly shed his blood for you. Think about that. 
Hebrews 9.22 said, According to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no remission. In the Old Testament, they had the sacrificial lamb, the sacrificial animals, the sacrificial goat, the sacrificial bullock, the sacrificial turtle doves. Uh, It was a bloody worship. When you'd come to the tabernacle or you'd come to the temple, it just reeked of blood. I I don't know if you've ever been around a meatpacking plant, but I have a feeling the tabernacle and the temple temple smelled a little bit like that, except they also had all kinds of incense burning. Maybe that helped cover it up. Uh, But you'd go and there was blood and they would take the blood and they'd dip it in hyssop and they'd sprinkle the blood upon the altar. They'd pour the blood. They did different things with the blood. And Jesus said his blood was given for us. On the night of his arrest, when Jesus changed the Passover into the Lord's Supper and he changed the Passover meal and he instituted something different. He said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. The one who designed the blood that's flowing through your body gave his blood, shed his blood for you. So that not only do we not have to give a blood sacrifice when we come to church. But we also don't have to pay the penalty for our own sin. He already did that. He who gave you life gave up his life to save you. Life is a gift from God. The scriptures clearly declare uh, and, and there is no scientific explanation at all, no medical explanation for why some people can conceive and some people can't, for why kids end up the way they end up. I mean, we know, well, yeah, there's the chromosomes of the dad, the chromosomes of the mom, and they combine, uh, but nobody can explain why they combine the way they combine. Only God can make that happen. Now, Kathy and I have laughed some that our kids a little bit have the best of both of us and a little bit have the worst of both of us. And, and, but, but you see a mix. And it's, it's kind of funny. I have a brother who is so much like one of my grandpas. It was staggering how much he was like one of my grandpas. Way more than like his mother or his father. The Lord's the one who puts those together. And there may be parts of your life you don't particularly like. Maybe you wish you didn't need glasses or hearing aids or uh, you you didn't have health problems or health concerns or you were a little taller or a little shorter or um, different things about your life. I know nowadays we can change our hair color. But maybe there's something you don't like about you, but God designed you. And the one who designed you, who made it work together, who, according to the description in Jeremiah, knit you together in your mother's womb, that one gave his life for you so that you could have eternal life. He offers forgiveness for your sin because he suffered for your sin. And he suffered for each one of them. I one time had a 
piece of wood and a guy with a nail, and I was preaching on the cross, and I had a guy with some nail pick, pick up a nail and then pound it into the cross. And then pound another one into the cross. Just the imagery of what Christ went through. But our physical imagery, our hearing can't even come close to seeing what happened in the agony of the dark hours on the cross. I was in a service once where they had people come up with a a sin they were struggling with and nail it to a cross of wood and nail it to the cross. And then afterward they burned that cross and all those little prayers and, and confessions of sin. But think about it. Your sin. He was wounded for your transgressions. If we look at Isaiah 53 and change it from our to your, he was wounded for your transgressions in verse 5. He was bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement of your peace was upon him, and with his stripes you are healed. You, like a sheep, had gone astray. You turned to your own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of you. Your sin caused him pain on the cross. You know, we love the Palm Sunday. We love the celebration of Jesus. We, we have church services all around the world that are a celebration of the Lord. But sometimes church gets too fluffy, not serious enough. Jesus died to pay the penalty of our sins. So it's not just, hey man, let's celebrate Jesus. Well, let's appreciate what he really did. The pain that he really suffered for your sins, for my sins. This is not just, hey, Jesus loves me, I'm going to heaven, woohoo! although that's great. But the process used to make it possible for me to go to heaven caused him to suffer horrific pain. Pain beyond our ability to understand. Physical pain almost beyond mental capacity to comprehend. Normally people enduring that level of physical pain, they go insane because their minds cannot handle the strobing pain. And then on top of all that physical pain, the intense spiritual suffering of our sins being poured out on him. And as indicated in scripture, the wrath of God being poured out on him on the cross. The physical agony and him crying out to the Father, your sin caused him pain on the cross. Each sin. We tend to forgive some of our sins. Well, that's just the way God made me. Well, God loves you the way you are, but he loves you too much for you to stay that way. He wants you to change. His pain paid the penalty for your sin. See, the cross shows us the awfulness of our sin. The darkest hour in human history. The darkest place in that time zone, in the middle of the day, pitch darkness. 
the darkest hour. The cross shows the awfulness of our sin. But the cross also shows the awesomeness of his love. So the cross that was a symbol of hatred and suffering and even torture has become a symbol of life and hope and joy because Christ paid the penalty of your sins and invites you to trust in him and be forgiven of every sin. And then, just like he did to the thief hanging on the cross beside him, and he said, today you'll be with me in paradise, he says to you and I, I go to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He's building a dwelling place for you in heaven because he loves you because he paid the penalty. So, what do you need to do? Well, the first thing you need to do is trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Ask him to forgive your sins, and he will. He paid the penalty for them already. He is eager to forgive your sins. The only way that you can have your sins forgiven is believing and trusting Jesus Christ. The only hope you have of heaven, of life eternal, of of life with the Father is through Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, Jesus, our Savior. So ask him to forgive your sins and be your Savior. If you have already done that, then what do you need to do? You need to look at your life and say, are you being tolerant of sin? Because we tend to be tolerant of some sins. I know men that are tolerant of losing their temper. Well, that's just the way they are. I know some women that way, but more men. I I know some people who are tolerant of using foul language. Well, you know, that's just the way I was raised. I know people who are tolerant of certain sins in their life. But I also know that every one of those sins caused Jesus pain on the cross. He died for that sin. And Peter said, he has given you the capacity to overcome that sin and walk in his grace and his glory. The cross shows the awfulness of sin, but the cross also shows the awesomeness of God. He can make you new. Old things can pass away. All things have become new. You can be so changed in Christ that the people who knew you before when you were unsaved or a new believer wouldn't even recognize you now because you can grow in grace and in the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You can spiritually mature in your relationship with him so that John, a son of thunder as described in the gospels, could become John the beloved, a sweet old man guiding people to follow Christ. You can be changed in Christ. Paul said in Romans 6, you can stop being an instrument of unrighteousness, start being an instrument of righteousness. You can be changed from the inside out. You can pursue him 
with purpose and passion. You can receive his forgiveness. And that's the starting point. That's the beginning place. Jesus said it's finished, meaning salvation's plan was done. But not it's finished, the work of God on earth. The work of God on earth is still going on. Jesus finished his great work. Now we have a work of God to do in our day, in our culture. And there are people in our community still in the bondage of their sin. And we need to share the gospel with them so they can trust Christ. So you need to receive Christ as Savior. You need to grow in your relationship with Christ. You need to share that with other people. Why? Because that's what Jesus said to do. If you take your Bible and turn to the end of the Gospel of Luke, the very end of the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 24. Jesus, this is after the resurrection. We're going to look at the resurrection next Sunday. On Resurrection Sunday, Easter as it's called. Uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 46. Jesus said unto his disciples, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and ye are witnesses of these things. So, you can repent. You can be, have remission of your sin, and you should share that with others. This was the right thing. The cross feels so wrong. But were it not for the cross, you and I could never be saved. Without shedding of blood is no remission. Praise God for the cross. The hope of the cross. But never forget the horror of the cross. Your sin hurt Christ on the cross. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. In just a moment, Jim's going to lead us in a song, Almighty Cross. And when we sing this song, it's a song that was blended with another song the choir sang earlier. Just think about his awesome love for you. And ask yourself, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you asked him to forgive your sins and save your soul? If you have not done that, don't leave this place today without doing that. Talk to somebody around you. Come here to the front. Have somebody pray with you. You, you don't leave unless you know you have trusted Christ as your Savior. And then take a good, hard look at your life. Jesus paid the penalty for your sins, but he doesn't want you to stay in them. Like the woman caught in adultery, he said, I'm not condemning you, but stop it. Go and sin no more. There's things you need to stop doing. Maybe there's things you need to start doing. Examine your heart. Examine your life. Benjamin's going to play through that. In just a moment, we're going to sing, Almighty Cross.
we're going to stand and we're going to sing Almighty Cross. And, and maybe there's a decision you need to make with somebody, pray with somebody, come here to the front. Uh, you make that decision. You follow Christ on this day in his house as we sing. Oh, my.